This episode of the Pursuit Podcast is presented by Fisher Skis. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Pursuit Podcast, presented by the one and only The Otta Collective. I'm your host, Mr. Adam X, and boy, do we have an episode for y'all today. You know... It's weird talking about skiing because it's like 60 out on the East Coast, but the snow's flying, people are talking about it. I think people are skiing in Alta, maybe some Adirondack skiing. I saw maybe some snow flying over in the New Hampshire. And uh, it's it's time. It's mid-October, late October, which means lifts will be spinning before we know it. And I'm excited about it. I'm going to be honest. I don't know if I'm physically prepared, but I am mentally prepared for it. And um, yeah, it's it's weird. Like if you work at a ski shop, you've went to your clinics, you know, maybe your ski resort to the shop night. It's time. It happens fast. Holy cow. I should be mountain biking right now, but I'm recording a podcast. And, you know, I just, I'm just like, holy cow, it's late October, we're doing it, it's time, and I got a great episode, I got a ski episode, uh, the one, the only, Xander Goldman, aka Xander X Fire, on Instagram, Matt, uh, not Matchstick Production, well he skis for Matchstick Productions, he's in the Land of Giants, He's in Head's new Team Film Unified. He just won Breakthrough Skier of the Year. He's going to be a household name. He is your favorite backcountry skier's favorite skier. Or maybe Big Mountain Skier's favorite skier. He's known for his world-famous Screamin' Seaman 360. And he's just a great human. Uh, and, I, you know, you never know what you're getting into with these conversations and Xander blew me away. Just his his dedication to skiing and education and the fact that everyone, it's real simple, but everyone should have a seat at the table and just an overall great human being. Such a fun episode. Before we get into that episode, you know the Pursuit Podcast is presented by Fisher Skis, but we want to talk about Fisher Skis. Specifically, I want to talk about the new Fisher RC4 Pro Boa Boot. Uh, I'm getting the medium volume because I got a big old foot. High performance boot. It's got boa. If you haven't tried a boa boot on, please do not knock it until you at least put it on your foot. High instep. People, I'm talking to you. You guys will love how it feels. The boa is so durable. I believe that cable holds up to 600 pounds. Here's the thing with the Fisher RC4 Pro. It comes stock with a zip fit liner stock so you're getting a $500 liner with the boot plus a high performance fisher shell all the boa tech everything you need this thing is gonna it's gonna be a rocket ship i just hope i have the skill set to ski it uh it's it's the rc4 pro again i'm getting the mv it's a high performance boot packed with all the latest tech the new boa I don't know what they call it, H plus one system. It wraps the shell to every foot shape, plus a zip fit liner, guarantees heel lock, and ample circulation to the toes. 
Carbon Fuse Cuff offers even more direct power transfer to ensure an optimal fit for most skiers. The RC4 boots have a Fisher Scan Fit Last developed using thousands of foot scans. What does all that jargon mean? It means it's a high performance boot. It fits your foot. It's got all the newest tech. It's like putting a lowering kit on your Honda Civic and putting that thing on rails. Fisher RC4 Pro BOA. Check it out. Get it at all your local shops. Buy it from maybefishersports.com. Get it. Because it's going to change your life, change how you feel. Great skiing starts with your boots. All right, let's get into the episode. That's hot. That's what it's asking. You can say no, it's up to you. Um, But Xander, this is like my favorite part. I don't really do an intro for you. I just kind of let you tell everyone who you are. So the floor is yours, my friend. Oh my gosh, intro myself? Um, all right. Well, <laughs> uh, my name is Xander. I, I'm a skier. I grew up in Tahoe. Um, I guess, yeah, I've always been kind of drawn to the free ride skiing side of things. I like raced very, very, very briefly when I was like 11 years old. So I don't really even know if that counts, but, uh, and yeah, I've kind of been in the big mountain comp scene for most of my life. And then just this past season, I had the opportunity to film skiing. Um, I'm a whitewater raft cat in the summer. I went to UC Davis, got a degree there, and just kind of live in life. What's your degree in? Uh, I studied international relations and then did like pre-med coursework as well. So I was Whoa. yeah, kind of moving in the academic direction, actually, and then stuff started going my way with comp skiing, and here we are. Do you think you'll ever revisit that? Is that like a backup yeah. plan? I, well, I, I'd say it was like plan A for a while there, and then... Um, yeah, I don't know. I like I'm compelled to enjoy the skiing thing since it's available to me at the moment. And but yeah, I mean everybody knows there's like a timeline on how long you can really do professional skiing. There's <laughs> a lot of a lot of reasons that's the case, but um yeah, I mean I think bigger picture I'm super interested in medicine and would love to do something in that realm, whether it's med school or something else. It's interesting. Yeah, I, I could see it skiing is almost the the backup plan and it's kind of working so you're like okay like let's keep doing this well i don't know we'll probably get more into it but i like it's it, this has been my dream my whole life right like from you know whatever like as once i first understood that professional skiing was a thing and you could like do cool sports for fun like i was probably like <laughs> four or something my, my cousin's a professional mountain biker so i've just been exposed to it and like that has been my dream my whole life um but yeah, I went to college and like didn't do very well in skiing events for basically two seasons and then kind of like let go of that skiing dream a little bit. And then in that process of letting go, a lot of things fall into place for me. So I, I don't even know if it's that linear, right? Things just kind of shift around and my priorities adjust accordingly. Yeah, it's to me, it's refreshing to hear because it's like you wanted to do it and then you're like, ah, oh, this might not work. And by admitting that, you actually probably like mentally got healthier, which made you ski better. And then it kind of fell into place. Totally. And I also think that like, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I was more myself once I let go of that dream. Like I think that when I was just too goal oriented, I had a hard time doing things authentically. And then when I kind of released that a little bit, I was able to ski for the right reasons and connect to that in a deeper way. And like, that led to yeah like more real connections with 
people and a more real connection with my skiing. And I think that's kind of why things ended up falling the way they did. And you've been, I mean, you, I, from my Googling, you entered your first free ride comp at 10 years old. Yeah, that's correct. Nice, dude. Good research. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My first free ride comp, I was like 10. Uh, it was at Sugar Bowl Resort, my home mountain. And I just remember there was like one cliff and it was like bad stone. I'd get a mute grab or something. And I was like, wait, this was sweet. This is way more fun than chasing gates. And I was pretty much sold at that point. What, do you know what skis you were on? Uh, I was on like the Rosie Scratch Pro Junior. Does that sound right? It was like the OG, like yeah. kid twin tip. I think that's what I it think was. That's why I asked, just because I'm like, I'm trying to think of like the available. Fr- You're not that old, but it was 10 years ago. And like yeah, the totally. available kids free ride skis were totally different than like now. Now there's a billion. Oh, yeah. I remember just being psyched that like anything existed. And it was like, if there's a twin tip and if it's more than like, you know, 80 underfoot, that's a huge win. <laughs> yeah. Huge victory. Different world now. Did you like, were you, how did you get entered into a free ride comp? Did you like, obviously your parents, but were they like, you need to compete. This is like embedded in you. Or were you like, I want to compete or you were smashing gates. And it was just like part of what the ski school did. I think like, like anything is kind of multifaceted, I guess, but the way that the ski team structured at Sugar Bowl is like, we have uh, a Nordic program and then there's like an Alpine program, which is kind of historically been the biggest one. And then there was like a very small free ride program when I was that age and they didn't let people join the free ride program until they were like 12 or something. But I was always like adjacent to that. And like in my little like mighty might race program, I was always kind of free ride oriented, like trying to figure out how to do 360s and always trying to grab stuff and, you know, ski and pow in between race laps. So I kind of got connected with the free ride program, even when I was kind of in more of the race scene. Um, and that, that was like the beauty of Sugar Bowl, still is the beauty of Sugar Bowl. It's a small, small group, small community, super tight knit. So I was able to like learn about kind of the free ride events and meet those people and get into the event before I was even old enough to be on the team. And yeah. It's- yeah. It wasn't like definitely no pressure from my parents or anything like, they're skiers, they like skiing, but I've never felt like any pressure from them to do it. Like they're more Nordic skiers than anything. Sugar Bowl is like, this is not a Sugar Bowl ad, but we got to give a little shout out because <laughs> we have a mutual friend over there. But like, it's big. It's like this big kind of resort for like feeling so small. And I think maybe just because it kind of all funnels to the to that little base lodge, right? Yeah. Like there's not I think- a lot. Well, it's funny, like acreage wise, it isn't particularly big, but it does have like a huge variety, a lot of different aspects and it's all open boundaries. So you can get access a ton of backcountry skiing from the resort as well. So it's like for the Tahoe area, it's on the smaller side, but like it accesses a ton of amazing terrain. Um, And I think the community feels super, super tight knit, especially considering like last, sorry. Yeah, again, it's not a sugar bowl ad, but I can't help but brag about it a little bit. Like last Olympic cycle, we sent like, I think we had seven Olympic athletes um, out of a high school that has 60 kids. So we had like, I think it was like four or five different countries represented or something, but it's always been like kind of a soft spoken hotspot for skiing and ski culture. Yeah. It's a really, and I get that, that wicked old, like little gondola that brings you from like the parking lot, which is such a novelty, but it's so just kind of neat. I skied it on like pure boilerplate. Couldn't have been worse conditions, like wind blown. It was terrible. But <laughs> like it was it was just like a neat 
place to be because you like walk over that long wooden bridge and then you get in this old rinkety gondola that's like really it like encaptures some old skiing because they like kept it pure but then like it's still like a modern resort and there's things happening and totally it's really well, I mean, sure was sure was like home of the first chairlift in california like our history runs super deep and i think like a lot of that is maintained to a certain extent like that it's crazy we still run that gone it's tiny it's old it's rickety and it's still kicking <laughs> we had three grown men in it and it was like it was a comedy show i thought i was getting pranked i was like why did she tell us to park here and that like <laughs> it's great but it was i don't know it was really fun i really enjoyed it awesome. uh, sugar bowl thanks for i don't know being you don't change and they just get a ton of snow there like it's such like a little oh my god i mean donner pass is no it's no joke <laughs> I mean, no totally there's a reason it's called donner pass there's no getting through that during the winter without <laughs> modern yeah. technology and snow plows <laughs> It's yeah. Okay. We'll get off sugar bowl. Um, yeah. I want to talk <laughs> what point, well, fast forward, you started competing young, but like just kind of had fun. You always had dreams of being a pro skier. And if I'm putting words in your mouth, correct me, but like, it's kind of what it was, but clearly education was a focus. And then now I think you're just full pro skier. I mean, you finished school for now, but now like what made it, click what changed it's so funny because i've been trying to reflect on that and figure out what it is because yeah i mean I, I think like a lot of it is just like right time right place like i've been just building relationships with people over the years and I, like i don't know i think my skiing has been on like a pretty like clean continuous trajectory i was weekend warrioring for the two seasons leading up to me qualifying for the fred world tour like it wasn't like I like put in a bunch more time and stuff finally connected. Like I think that my love for the sport deepened during that chunk of time. I think that when, yeah, like when I was weekend warrioring, like I was just psyched to be on snow and excited to be with my friends and enjoying the sport that I love. Um, and I think that I kind of reconnected with it in a way that made more sense for me where I wasn't pushing as hard. I wasn't trying to like do the gnarliest stuff. I was, skiing the lines that I wanted to see skied and I was skiing them in a way that felt good to me. And I think I refocused. I, honestly, I think the biggest thing is that I kind of refocused on a style of skiing that was healthy and sustainable. Because um, when I look at people who have had like really good, effective careers in the ski industry, it's people who have stayed healthy. And there are so many people who have a lot of talent out there, but to like push the sport and to be skiing at a high level and to yeah keep your body good working condition that's kind of the bigger challenge and i think that you know i had two years where i had like back-to-back -back season ending injuries and that allowed me to like refocus and kind of recalibrate and actually tone my skiing down a little bit and then just produce more consistent results and yeah just to do it in a way that felt sustainable and fun um, well especially so I think like yeah go ahead uh just especially the free ride world tour like there that is like there aren't I'm trying to be nice about this because I don't mean it in a mean way, but there aren't many like more unsafe competitions. Like yes. it's just it's just like the terrain is gnarly and the time slots are time slots. And it's like there's it's I again, I'm not I love like I don't follow the free ride world tour religiously or anything, but like I'm not knocking it. I'm just trying to like make people understand that when we see these lines that you guys are skiing like 
they're so much gnarlier than even a film shoot. Like a film shoot, you're like, not the window's not good. We're not doing it. Free ride world tour is like we have two days, three days to make it work. And like if it's on, it's on. And once it starts, if the clouds roll in and you're the tenth person to drop, like it's cloudy. Yeah. And I think, yeah, no, I absolutely. And I think the conditions are even worse than it looks on film. Like, I don't know. Last year was like truly, truly bad at the three events that I got to do, you know, like, I don't know. I don't need to knock, knock a wall and stuff, but it was the Abbey conditions were super sketchy and we were skiing terrain that I wouldn't have been skiing. Otherwise, like if I'd been skiing on my own, I would have walked away from those aspects, elevations. Like there were so many red flags on what we were skiing and then and that was just something I struggled with right like I I feel like I've spent a lot of time trying to like calibrate myself and my decision making to be healthy sustainable and yeah just like productive and yeah I kind of feel like I had to code switch a little bit when I was in the comp scene to be able to actually go put a rundown when it wasn't something that I really wanted to ski otherwise which is challenging so how, how do you how do you prepare? Is there like, what's your, I guess, what's your morning, your competition morning ritual? Give me that. Depends on how, depends on how much we have to hike early the morning is and everything. But uh, the past couple seasons, I've been trying to do like, even if it's just like five minutes or something, just some yoga, some stretching, some breath, like some breath work before I start the day. Like I try to have like my first moments in the morning be just like connecting to my body and yeah, just feeling like yeah just connecting to myself a little bit um and then once you're kind of out the door there isn't a whole lot of opportunity to like slow down and do anything besides just follow the mass and just try to stay calm the stuff is happening around you because it's a whole production there are cameras everywhere there are a lot of fired up people and yeah i think like just those first couple moments when i first wake up are super important to try to stay grounded throughout what happens after um and then yeah i just try to pay attention to what's going on on the venue see what the snow looks like and make sure that the lines i've been looking at the past couple days still work with how i'm feeling and with what the conditions look like that day and then yeah always just like returning to my breath and like trying to stay connected to myself and not get too distracted by all the shiny objects are you skiing before this or is your like first run of the day like kind of your first run of the day um yeah it depends so spain and kicking horse we were able to get some runs in before the comp which was awesome uh andorra was just like wake up crack it on and go hike for a long time and my first turns of the day were out of the start gate that is insane and i'm not again i am not anyone listening i am not like this isn't to make free ride look free ride world tour look bad it's to show you the conditions that these athletes are like actually in it's not it's just that's the nature of competition i think we forget that like if we watch a live event someone stands at the top till that commercial's over and then as soon as the commercial is done some they the guy says go and you go like it's not it's not when you feel ready it's when the cameras are ready or when the venue's ready like it's it's just a mass it's insane. It's an insane thing. I yeah. think we well, just to take that. Go ahead. Go, 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 go. Well, yeah, just to take that a step further. Like, I think that for me personally, like I, I don't know that the competition framework is like exactly what's right for me right now, 
But I think that comp skiing is the most intense, gnarly version of skiing that exists. Like the grit that's required and like just the raw intensity of the whole scene is just crazy. And I think like whoever wins on that day is truly on another level. Like I think everybody who's at those events is capable of so much. And the person who wins, yeah, is skiing super hard, but is largely just like playing a very intense mental game exceptionally well. And I think that to me is like, more impressive than you know any sort of pal skiing segment that you watch in a movie you know like i have so much respect for it and it is really hard yeah it's i think yeah there's no rebuttal to that i think it's so much harder than we under we as spectators understand and the pressure and just the the risk reward and like competition skiers are just a competition anything right like it's just a different level but like when you get into like competition skiing or snowboarding or winter weather like dependent sports it's insane it's not and i think that's why when we see winter sport results they're a little more all over the map than like a basketball basketball is controlled like the arena is controlled the temperature is the same it's very like it's a controlled environment versus like a free ride world tour it's it's whatever it is that day, which is insane. Totally. Well, and like beyond conditions themselves, like there's just the nature of the mountains that you're competing on, like different venues play to different strengths. And yeah, it could be anyone's day on any given day. (laughs) Do you think, are you going to do free ride world tour this year or what are you going to do? Well, uh, yeah, I missed requalifying. I like, was one slot below the cutoff. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not going back this year, but I'm, I'm cool that I've got opportunities lined up with filming. And I think that that's kind of more what I'm interested at this point anyways. Like, again, I have so much respect and love for the comp scene. And also I think that filming is yeah better suited to what I'm trying to do with my skiing right now in terms of, yeah, just aligning with my decision-making and being able to just express myself in a more creative way. Yeah, I think filming is way more expressive. Like you can yeah. just kind of paint a little better picture of like what you want to show versus, you know, I mean, competition is you have to do what the judges are going to, if you want to win, you have to do what the judges want to see. It's a totally different sure. thing. There's no, I, I don't want to say there's no character in it because there's a ton of character, but filming is just a, it's an art. There's a reason it's a, it's a film. Well, yeah. And like, I've been competing since I was 10 and I w- I'd be lying if I didn't say it felt a little formulaic at times. Like, I think for the most part, the same tricks are winning. It's like, you can, you know, I can, I can look at a venue and understand where the winning line would be. And usually it involves like a backflip and a three and that's sick. And it's super hard to do that. And it's impressive, but I'm just at a point in my skiing where like, I feel like I've done that, even if I haven't done it at the highest level necessarily, like I've, I do feel like I've done that and I understand that. And I think the next creative challenge for me is yeah, more on the filmmaking side and seeing what I can do in that arena and just feel excited to do that. And I think I can push myself in a way that's sustainable and healthy. Yeah. And I do correct me if I'm wrong, but competition is almost, it's like the rite of passage to get the phone call to go film. Not like, it's just kind of what you have to do to get a phone call. Like how does, so how does this work? How do you get, I mean, you're in a couple films this year and we'll talk about them, but is the phone just ringing off the hook? Is it 
the screaming semen 360 that just like fucking goes viral and then the phone starts ringing how does the filming how do you get the call how do you get the invite yeah well i'll talk about it just in general for a quick sec because i think that's arguably more interesting i'll talk about myself as well but i think that like historically what you're saying is totally true that you had to like compete until you got visibility and exposure and then yeah then you like quote unquote get the call um but i think just the industry is in a very different place now and you there are just a lot of different avenues and pathways to get there i think you see a lot of people making their own films you see a lot of people creating a name and a presence on social media and there are totally legit critiques to make about all of that but i will say it does feel like it's democratized the process a little bit and having different pathways and avenues to success that oftentimes are more affordable and more accessible i think is a great thing for the industry and um again there are absolutely counterpoints to that but i think that there are there's more than one way to get there now and i think even just a couple of years ago it was kind of yeah you compete until you get the call um and i feel like my my path was a little bit of a hybrid in a lot of ways where i i actually shot with matchstick for my first time when i was 16 in high school uh scott gaffney called myself ross tester and connery lundin and we shot a segment at palisades um that ended up being the year they did ruin and rose the notorious sand skiing movie which yeah so the shots that we got didn't end up really having much of a presence in the movie and i don't know anyway <laughs> um so i was kind of like already yeah like I, I think people in the industry started to know my name when I was quite a bit younger. Um, and then when I went to college, it kind of put everything on pause a little bit. And yeah, my phone was silent for a while. And I found that it was really hard to like maintain relationships with sponsors. Um, and yeah, college, college definitely was hard on the skiing career, which I mean, makes sense. I was putting my energy in other places. Um, and this last year stuff kind of fell into place largely because of the world tour, but more so just me like qualifying for it. Cause I think that, signaled to people that I was taking skiing seriously. Um, I think what I did on the world tour last year, yeah, it gave me good exposure, but the filming that I did was already lined up prior to me even taking my first competition run. Um, I want to give huge credit to Dustin Lindgren. He's been, yeah, a huge name in the industry for a long time. Uh, yeah, he's been tied with tied to matchstick, tied to mountain biking films, doing a lot. And uh, I met him a couple of years back how do I make a story shorter? Basically, his brother, uh, Scott Lindgren, is a whitewater kayaker. You may have seen him in, like, The River Runner, but I, I whitewater kayak as well. So I've got to know Scott through the boating community, and then Scott introduced me to his brother, Dustin. And then Dustin and I have been talking to talking for years about shooting something on Donner Summit. There's basically just a ton to do. It's, like, all roadside. There are a couple bigger lines that would be, you know, bigger missions to get to, but we've just been, yeah, spitballing, trying to make something happen for a while. And then last year I had the whole winner available and he was directing Matchstick's movie. So he was able to get me on an early season trip up to BC that, yeah, it kind of flopped. It was a super fun trip, but we didn't <laughs> actually get anything out of it. Um, and I was kind of worried that was my one shot. And I was like, damn, conditions didn't line up. Like there it goes there. Yeah, it's gone. Um, but then he, because he was directing, he kept me in the loop, kept me in the fold. And then I was able to get that opportunity to shoot with Matchstick at home later in the season, which is the segment that ultimately did make the movie. So Dustin played a huge role in that. Um, got to acknowledge my sponsors as well, right? Like I think Head in particular um, made things happen for me last year in a way that just, yeah, wouldn't have been possible without them, um, especially their movie Unified. 
Um, yeah, so I'm starting to ramble a little bit, but oh, yeah, please. they produce their own film, which is super sweet. I think it would be great to see more uh, ski brands producing their own content in that style. I think making yeah feature-length films, even like shorter projects, is something that builds community and builds a brand identity in a really unique and interesting way. You know, Faction kind of led the charge with that, and it, it's cool to be part of a company that's, yeah, following that model, because I think it's a really good one, but I think that answers your question. Basically, oh, yeah, I, so. I had been in touch with Dustin for years, and he kind of made things happen for me. And I think there's a lot, there's a lot there to you know to take in. And I I like that you said, one I love that Head is is creating a team film. Uh, those always used to be, be like, kind of. I feel like we did it for a while, and Faction's done it for a long time, and they like really, really led the charge on like this is our team, like this is Faction, and I think that was yeah. so neat and like that's such a lame word but it was just like because when i i guess my long story long not to take up your time here but like no please my debate when it comes to skiing is like when people ask me for advice on skis and they're like you know the, we're sponsored by fisher they're our title sponsor so i'm gonna tell everyone to buy fisher rangers like those skis rip right like they're great they're phenomenal you're with head so what's their ski right now the core are they still on the head core yeah i, I mostly ski the core and then we got the oblivion line as well so like yeah. th those skis rip side by side the fisher ranger and the head core they rip so now it's like look at what those brands are doing look at the people they're supporting look at how they're supporting the industry and that should help you make your decision so if you're between a fisher ranger and a head core and you like Xander over Adam X support Xander by buying a head core. And that like, I truly believe in that. And then like head is like, we're putting money into our team and creating a film. That's phenomenal. And like Fisher's, I have to shout out Fisher, but like Fisher's supporting, like they've got a guy who's going for 3 million miles of vertical feet uh, this year. Dang. Like, and the record's 2.5 million right now. So like they're supporting him. So like, if you're an uphill guy and you're into that and you want to like, that's cause the whole, like no one makes junk anymore. There's no, I mean, there are some bad ski companies out there, but like, if we're talking like the top five, like we're talking head Fisher, Solomon, Roz, like there's a lot of good skis out there. So what are the brands doing to support the people that you like? And like, that's, that's my rant. Um, but I, Unified's not out yet, correct? I think I asked you correct, this. Correct. Yeah, it'll it'll be online sometime in November. Yeah, but we're doing a couple premieres here and there. I I love the team thing. It just uh, and I think head. I think it's a smart move for head. I think uh, personally, head doesn't stick out in free ride for me right now because mm -hmm. they they've they have a good product. I've skied the head core line. Uh, it's great, but it just if you don't, if you don't create these things, people don't think about it. You know, For Solomon's sure. got a free ride or free ski tour. You think of the QST when you think of free ride because they're actively putting that out, right? Like that, it matters. So I'm, I'm interested to see the film, uh, you know, line always seems to, I think they have a ski film this year as well. Right. I think line, lines approach is pretty cool. They did like a bunch of smaller pieces. I saw that one, yeah, it was released online this morning and they did a bunch of like shorter pieces. So instead of like a single team movie, 
I think they were able to kind of pull out their different styles and different approaches and then create more, yeah, more quick watchable pieces yeah, that they're that's releasing cool. on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. And I just watched Crescendo. Did you watch Crescendo yet? Oh yeah. Crazy. So good. Dude, I, this, this podcast is going off the rails now, but <laughs> Kendo is, I would love to see the editing board. That is, there are so many clips in that movie, like zero storytelling, straight up ski porn. If there's seven words in the whole thing, I think that's a lot. Um, <laughs> it's 29 minutes of bangers. And my favorite part about the whole thing, and then I'll stop talking I didn't have to, I didn't have to count the rotations. Yes. They were like fun tricks. It was like a 540 off, like a 20 foot cliff, like a 30 foot, like they weren't like, like, I'm not taking it away from them. I can't do any of it, but I was like, man, this is like just fun skiing. Totally. And that's like really what I want to see more of in the industry. Like, I think that I was having this conversation with somebody just a couple of days ago, but like, I think the gnarly stuff has in many ways happened not to say that there isn't further room for progression but i think what i would love to see is just yeah making skiing feel exciting and approachable and engaging and yeah i just think accessibility is super huge like if we're looking to include a wider variety of people within our sport i think that our media and what we're producing needs to reflect that i think like the macho i'm gonna go big ski something gnarly is like yeah it's exciting it gets people going right like when you're in a theater watching these premieres, you can't deny that that style of skiing has a place, but I really want to make people just feel excited to be part of something. And I want that to feel accessible to people who maybe aren't already part of it. And I think there's so many names in the industry that are doing a lot of work on that front. I think Zeb Powell is somebody that needs to be acknowledged in that conversation too, right? Like he's very deliberately going to places that are not like international snowboarding destinations because he's trying to bring new people into the fold, because he's trying to make snowboarding look interesting and dynamic and new. And I think that, yeah, there are a lot of people in skiing doing similar work, but I think Zeb's doing it head and shoulders above anybody else. And that's what I think kind of the next step in ski media is and should be. Yeah, and skiing, I had this conversation recently, skiing is tough because it's older, right? Like snowboarding is still young. Like the arguably the inventor of snowboarder the snowboarding, like who, you know, Jake Burton, who put it actually on the map, rests his soul, but is 60, would have been 65 years old. Like it's a young, yeah, totally. sport. Um, yeah. so it hasn't gotten time to like be ruined. And mm -hmm. I think they're seeing like, uh, you know, Todd Richards is 50. Like one of the, like the uh, snowboarding legend is young. So it's it's still very young in its thing and it's in its career. So like it's seen what skiing has like ruined itself and it's like learning and it's it's evolving and adapting. And like yeah. I think skiing is catching up again and like becoming fun and less gnarly and let that'll still exist. It always will. Like yeah, of course. But it's just not like skiing so old that it had to just mature so far that it got ugly and now we can come back yeah if that i think that in many ways is the challenge for skiing too is like how do we evolve and modernize without just copying snowboard culture right because i think it's very easy to fall into this trap of like making skiing 
into skateboarding and snowboarding. And, you know, there are things in common. I get the appeal of that. But I think that, you know, there it would be cool to capture that same essence. I think, like, making it accessible, making it a little bit grittier, a little bit less polished are, like, awesome lessons to take away. But then we, we need to make it skiing as its own. Yeah, I mean, the, the skier that comes to mind for me is Alex Hackle. Yeah, like, cool. I like that. Just very like swerve style skiing like they've been they've created their own like not i don't want to say weird but like it's weird skiing it breaks every rule but it's somehow smooth it's super they have so much talent and like i skied two laps with him at jackson hole and i was like i skied totally because i forgot about where to put my hands and like you throw your poles away and you have your hands high and you're like doing nose butters like it's just like loose and fluid. And it was so, ref- I was so sore the next day because I didn't use half those. <laughs> but it was so, it's so refreshing. And like seeing even on his Instagram, what he's been doing recently, I don't know where he is right now, but like he's been like having kids like basically like zeeching rails and like teaching them and like giving them a free hoodie. Uh, like that's skiing. That's what we need. Like it's totally. so refreshing and it's just, awesome to watch and it's but we need both i think we need you know i think how you approach like big mountain skiing is really interesting because you're on this giant but you i think maybe i'm wrong but like when i see you ski big mountain where you would hit you hit five things a skier of maybe 10 years ago would have just hit one of those things and straight lined it yeah like totally it's it's just it's fun it's like a video game watching versus just like straight line it's how can i piece this apart how can i like the old dumb slogan of like you know my skis are the paintbrush and the snow's the canvas but like <laughs> that's what it is it's it's no, art yeah, it's totally expression. it's overplayed but it's true <laughs> expression it's so cool like it's i don't know it's just refreshing that you know the I brought it up again, but the screaming semen 360 is like, I saw that and it, I've seen 1440s. I've seen, like, I've seen it all. We've all seen it all. And the screaming semen, not saying it's easy, but like, it's a 360. But no, like, totally. It's so refreshing. And I think that's what the internet craves. I think that's what people crave. And I think that's what skiing needs. Yeah, thank you for that. I agree. And it was interesting, like looking at that feature. Also, that was like my plan C line. That wasn't what I was going to ski in the first place. But like looking at the feature, we were talking about all the tricks you could do off of it. And there was like chatter about dub backs. We were talking about sevens. We were talking about like all kinds of stuff. And like, it just, I, I don't know. I didn't want to make things, I, I don't know, maybe weird to say I didn't want to make things complicated. Doing a genie job is <laughs> complicated, but like, I don't know like that's what was speaking to me in that moment and that felt like the right thing to do and i think there's a lot to be said for like following instincts and trusting yourself um and i don't know back to what you were talking about in terms of i'll tackle and the bunch like fuck, they, those guys have influenced my skiing so much in the past couple of years i think like there was definitely a period of time like tw- yeah in like the 2018 2019 range where a lot of skiing media felt pretty stale and i just wasn't feeling that inspired and that aligned with kind of when I was just in college weekend warrioring trying to like regain my passion for the sport a little bit and yeah dude I watched so much of the bunch and like (laughs) you know they do a very different style of skiing than I do right but I think that like 
the joy and the passion and the vision that they bring is so needed and so refreshing. And like, yeah, just like dancing, swerve ski and letting your hands move around. Like there aren't rules to this. And if you're skiing in a way that speaks to you and that makes you feel good, then like that's what matters. And it's a huge bonus if it's innovative and new as well. And like, I'm just happy to see that they're getting recognition and that they have a space in the industry because I think that they've pushed the sport in a really positive direction in the past couple of years. You know this podcast wouldn't be possible without our absolutely fantastic, wonderful sponsors. My favorite thing about the sponsors is it's it's gear that I use. It's stuff that I use. So that makes it even better. I want to talk to you about Deuter. You guys know them. You love them. They've got the Deuter Promise, which means free lifetime repair. The leaves are coming off the trees. Snow's flying. People were skiing in the Adirondacks last week. I mean, they're they're skiing at Alta. You know, sharks everywhere. But you got to have the right gear, the right safety, and how are you going to carry all that gear but in your Deuter backpack? Deuter Freerider Pro 34 Plus. And what that means is it's 34 liters, and then it's got a little extra storage. It, like, pops open. It's like, it's a little transformer, and it is so sick. It weighs less than 1,300 grams. Volume, 34 liters plus. Uh, it fits nice and cozy. It's got hip packs. It holds your snowboard, your skis. You can side carry. You can put your poles in there. You can put your snowshoes in there. This is the ultimate backpack for all of your winter adventures. Helmet holder, ropes holder, goggle bag. I'm telling you, head over to Deuter.com. Check out the Freerider Pro 34 Plus. I mean, it, it's got all of the features and the flexibility with the capacity that you could need for any multi-day winter adventure in the mountains. I use it as a day pack because I like to bring a lot of snacks. Fits a hoagie. It allows you to expand the capacity of your bag by 10 liters. It's so good. Again, you can carry your skis, A-frame, snowboard, snowshoes, poles, straps, gear, ropes. They got it all. And it comes with the Deuter Promise. And you know what the Deuter Promise is. It's free lifetime repair. If they can't fix it, they'll replace it. Head on over, Deuter.com. Check it out. Is there really anything better than your blankie? I don't think there is. And that's why I'm loving the Rumple so much. Because I bring the Rumple blanket everywhere. I'm talking I was snuggling in it, sleeping in my Prius last week. And then I washed it, threw it in my bed. Is that right? Is that wrong? I don't know. You tell me. But that's the thing I love about these Rumpel blankets. They're made for for everything, every condition, all weather. And they're just they're just like a it's got character. It makes you feel good. And you know what I want to talk about that I don't talk about that much is the Rumpel Everywhere mat. It's a waterproof mat. You leave it in your car, you pull it out, you get changed, you put your boots on, you put your slippers on. It's easy from your Crocs to your socks. You can wear it on the mat and your feet don't get wet, your gear doesn't get wet, you stuff it, crumple it up in a bar ball, throw it into your car, and you pull it back out and it's ready for use again. Rumple has so many more things than just the blankets. They've got it like insane collections, they've got towels, they've got ponchos, stuffable pillowcases, apparel. You gotta go over. Head on over to Rumple.com, check it out, see what they got. 
I'm telling you, I'm loving the blankets. I'm loving the everywhere mats. I'm loving the everywhere towels. I've never used a product more clutch in my life than the Rumple Blankets towels. They got it all. The Puffy, the Nano Loft, the Nano Loft Flame, fire resistant people. I mean, do as you wish with that. The Nano Loft Travel, perfect for flights. They've got kids ones. They've got indoor blankets, everywhere blankets. Rumple's got it all. They do amazing collabs with amazing artists. Check them out. Rumple.com. You can use a code. It's in the show notes. Save you a couple bucks. How about that? Rumple.com. Yeah, I would argue they're one of the most influential ski cliques, gangs, groups, whatever that like is in the last five years. I mean, oh, I'd extend that back though. I'd say in the past decade, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, but past five years, especially. Yeah. It's just, yeah. The five years prior to that, it was kind of underground. Now they're like, True. you know, they're at the X games they are at Kings and Queens. Like they're, yeah, they're, they are the culture. Now. They've made their own place. Like they've, yeah. and they haven't changed it. Like they haven't, mm-hmm. they haven't changed their skiing style to the judges or to like, they'll take a third and they'll be like, and the internet will be like, that was a first place run, like F the judge, which makes it even better. Like they haven't conformed. Oh, totally. right? They've, it, I don't know. It's always. Well, I love something that's controversial and polarizing too. Like if you go to the comments on any of their videos, like there's some people slamming them and tearing them apart. And it's like, I, I don't know. I think it's really cool to like create something that makes people feel things. And for me, it makes me feel like happy and joyful. And I really love what they're doing. And for other people, it makes them angry, but it's like, it's still making them feel something. And I think there are a lot of people who can do kind of like, you know, just, I don't want to call it bland, but you, you, you can just go skiing and people can be like, oh yeah, cool. Nice skiing. But I think to like <laughs> incite something that gets people going is such a big success. I think that's huge. Yeah, I, I have to agree. And it's, it's relatable. Anyone can yeah. go swerve ski and just, it's just loose and fluid and what I, I don't want. Um, I mean, I don't want to swerve too much here, but like what, <laughs> Speaking of like being inspired and keeping it like not stale, what are you watching? What are you being influenced by? Like, what is, I know you mentioned the bunch a little bit, but like, what is, is it surfing? Like, what are you focusing on in the summer that giving you ideas for filming in the winter? How about that? Is that a question? I think that makes sense. No, dude, that's a great question. I love it. Um, I'd say like, yeah, outside of skiing, a lot of my influences are like, I mean, I spend my summers uh, as a raft guide and I do a lot of whitewater kayaking. So I think being on the river contributes a lot to just how I approach the world in general. Um, the people that I get to spend time with are like incredible, like very humble down to earth people who are excelling in so many ways in life. And I think that that whole space influences me a lot. Um, I think like the way that that translates stylistically to my skiing is like maybe not the most apparent thing because they're very different <laughs> activities, different sports, but I think the concept of like, yeah, connecting to space, whether it's a river or a mountain, understanding how to yeah just like work with it and get where you want to go in a way that feels true to yourself i think that's that totally carries through um i started doing pottery a couple of years ago too and that's been a really huge thing for me i think like yeah just starting with a formless shapeless blob and making something that yeah it, it excites me i think has shaped my skiing a lot in turn as well um i'd say yeah i i'm like 
anybody who's going outside and doing something that speaks to them inspires me and pushes me. But yeah, I think, yeah, rivers and clay are big things for me outside of skiing. I love, those are two like completely different things. I have to say, it cause I always <laughs> say, it. I think anyone who whitewater kayaks or like guides are like, you guys are all, this is, I mean this in the nicest way. You're all psychopaths. Like it is <laughs> the sketchiest, like water in snow form is sketch water in like pure liquid water form is insane. Like, there's so much power. It's so, I don't know. I mean, you're just a ping pong ball. Like you kind of guide <laughs> where you're going, but like it's, it, the river ultimately decides like where you go. I For mean, sure. maybe I'm wrong, but it's. No, no, you're totally right about that. And you have to like be able to like work with the river in order to accomplish anything. And I've, yeah, I had the like privilege of teaching guide schools for our uh, raft company this year. And like, yeah, bringing people into the fold at kind of an entry level was super cool because I think there are things that I take for granted about like how you can use the river, how you can use water to accomplish something that I hadn't really distilled into that base level before. And yeah, to like connect to that and really understand the power of it was, yeah, humbling for sure. It's my friend was a uh, raft guide. And one day, he tri this is a true story, he tripped out of his boat and he got wet. And he got like triple the tips because yeah. <laughs> then the the people thought that like, because when you initially go, you're like, you have the dream job. This is like the greatest thing in the world. So uh, he tripped unintentionally and got wet. And it was like, ah, oh, fuck, like, you know, whatever it happens. And he got like triple the tips. So then for the rest of the summer, he just every day tripped out of the boat <laughs> and made <laughs> It made a uh, bunch more money. So just a heads up, uh, it's it's actually in a book. It's called Walden on Wheels. Um, and he explains the whole thing in a chapter on like the the mentality of making money as a tour guide because they think it's a dream job, so they don't want to tip you. But when you make it <laughs> to be harder, you get more money. So just, just throwing it out there. Trip out <laughs> your then they'll sympathize with you more and then you got to make it seem harder. You can't be like the cool guy tour guide. Cause then people are like, fuck this guy. I'm not going to give him more money. No, totally. I think it's so funny because technically like my goal when I'm guiding is like, you know, I want to get people down safely and I want them to have fun. Um, oftentimes when like I'm having a perfect day, having like really clean lines, not hitting rocks, not swimming people when things are going well, people often get bored and it's like people want to have the drama and like, yeah, do I like, get a little bit sloppy and people fall out of the boat like they are way more hyped than the days where things go totally totally well so it's like i don't know exactly what to do with that because my goal is still just get people down safely but then like yeah you want to make it fun i think you need to just like hire a friend to go with you and just fall yeah. out every yeah, exactly. time exactly <laughs> then it's a drama and then someone saves them and then it's like hey, and then it's all human perception right like that's totally uh whitewater raft <laughs> so scary god it's got to be the scariest like activity you can just choose to do i think well i think a lot of people sign up for it thinking it's like an amusement park ride they're like yeah it's like the log ride at disneyland and it's like no yeah. <laughs> it's far from controlled there's a lot lot that we can't totally control for while we're out there yeah i don't think everyone 
understands that as much. But whatever, I mean, whatever. Um, I want to talk. I don't want to talk too long here. Um, I want to talk training. Like, are you someone who's like strict diet, doing all the right things, or are you just still young where like you can just like you're good? No, I definitely, I definitely train and I work for it. Um, I think like the biggest thing for me has been the learning curve of like how to train. Um, I think that there was a chunk of time where I was like lifting weights super heavy and focusing a lot on that side of things. And then I was doing a lot of stretching as well, but much more static stretching. Um, and my body just wasn't working for me that well. Like I had a lot of like extra mass that I was lugging around, but it wasn't all <laughs> functional. And then I was flexible, but I wasn't, I lacked mobility, right? Like there's a distinction there. And the past couple of years I've been focusing more on, yeah, like yoga style, like dynamic stretching, um, a lot more like plyometric work, body weight exercises, and more than anything, just stuff that like I'm excited to do on my own time and things that I look forward to. Um, I definitely still lift weights and I do that side of things, but yeah, I think making sure it's something that's sustainable and something that yeah, it just supports a well-rounded fitness um, that isn't necessarily heavy, I think is big. I think like, yeah, when I was just like gaining muscle mass, that wasn't helping me at all, really. So yeah, I've definitely like refined my approach over the past couple of years. But yeah, I'm always putting work into that for sure. And I try to eat well. I think when I'm in charge of my own food, I eat pretty well. But when I'm on the road, it's like you just kind of eat what's available to you and like, yeah, it, it, that's. I think that's like one of the tougher parts about traveling is you just like you eat what you can eat and that's it. Yeah, and it's a comfort. I think people forget like traveling. You're so uncomfortable most of the time. Like you're not. Yeah. You're fine. You're on the but like food is a comfort. That's what they call yeah. it, comfort food or whatever. So you like eat like crap because it just makes you feel decent for five minutes. Yeah, <laughs> sleeping like, like sometimes. Well, do yeah. I mean, sometimes you're like at a truck stop and that's all there is it's like yeah you're gonna eat the taquito off the hot dog roller because that's what you can get and like you know i like to eat clean i eat vegetarian when i'm in charge of my own food but it's like i i've had to let go of that because when you're traveling you just that's not available to you all the time yeah it's just not it's just not realistic yeah. um we got to talk land of giants we didn't really like talk about that uh matchstick productions land of giants you're in it so this yeah. is your second matchstick film, correct? Yeah. Yes. Like technically, I, I'd filmed with Scott Gaffney a couple times before around Palisades, but this is like my first time actually having a presence in the movie and having like a segment that I'm like part of, you know. So I've like gone through the process of filming before, but this is the first time that anything has like come of it. Um, and so I wasn't actually like totally sure if it was going to happen or not until I actually like got the call like you know end of the summer that i was in the movie <laughs> yeah i guess which is a crazy thing to think about too like you film but you don't know if it makes the cut totally yeah and but, you i have three was last week and you won breakthrough skier of the year totally yeah you know uh, that and then that award was actually tied to the head movie uh for okay yeah yeah so i yeah i was lucky enough to be part of two films last year which was sweet what is like that's got to be an insane feeling like do you know going to if3 that you win this like do you have it already like they told you like you should be here you win or like are you full-on like you just they say your name you're like holy shit i won this 
Uh, yeah, the latter. In retrospect, I should have known, I guess. Like, like, yeah, they asked me a couple times if I was going to be there, and they're like, you're coming, right? I'm like, yeah, I'm coming. And it was the type of thing where, like, I, like, I was going to be up there to, you know, tour for Matchsticks, Land of Giants anyways, so I didn't actually know it was during IF3 until I was, you know, a couple days out. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess in retrospect, given the fact that they were asking if I was going to be there, that was probably an indicator that, like, maybe I should have, like, known and, like, prepped the speech or something, but... Yeah, I wasn't expecting it. I was totally surprised when they called my name. <laughs> but yeah, they, they dropped hints that I didn't pay attention to. What was that? Did you give a speech? Yeah, it was so bad. I wasn't expecting it. I was nervous. I was like in front of all my heroes. Oh, yeah, I was totally tongue-tied up there. I said something. I don't really remember what, to be honest. <laughs> I'm sure there's clips out there. I'm sure they're floating around. And I'm way too embarrassed to watch them. <laughs> oh, no. We'll have to find them. That's how we'll promote this. We'll just find your clips you stumbling through. But no, that's like a major, it's a major award. No, but it's a, that means something. I mean, it has to at least maybe put a stamp of like, and maybe you're fully confident and you don't need this, but it's like, oh, I can do this. Like this is yeah. a, this is a great step in the right direction. Ideally, okay, last year, or you won this now from filming last year, you've got a bunch of films or filming lined up for this year. I'm speculating, but like, this is the year, like this is not putting pressure on you, but like, this is the year, right? Like people start knowing your name. They start figuring out who you are. Um, I think I read somewhere like you are every backcountry skiers. What was it? Hang on. I have the quote somewhere. Um, where did I put it? You, it's it says Xander Goldman's probably your favorite big mountain skier's favorite skier. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about I don't that, know what, but I, I appreciate it. <laughs> but I think I think a lot of people on the inside know your name. I think everyone in the Matchstick films and who like cares about skiing as like a core and a culture knows your name. But now this year, it's like this is the breakout year where like maybe my mom will know your name. Maybe like, but you know what I mean? Like it's the, it's the, this is the, this is the platform. This is like the launch. Yeah. And it's like you said, it's a huge honor. And like, I think, yeah, I wasn't expecting it necessarily. I wasn't putting a ton of thought into it going in and then having had a couple of days to sit on it. Like, yeah, it's a tremendous honor, right? Like I was in. A room of people that yeah like I I felt accepted and appreciated by them and it's people that I've looked up to my whole life um and I don't know yeah like I just I think for me like I don't fundamentally feel like that much has changed about my approach to the sport or the way that I ski so part of it's like like why is this the breakout year it's like well yeah it's because I like filmed two segments and like they like performed reasonably well so it's like I, I i get it but also like i still feel like i'm just like the same person i'm the same version of myself so to be getting more recognition is a little bit like i'm just trying to calibrate everything you know but right i'm like i'm so honored and yeah i do i just i've felt super accepted by people in the industry that i've met over the past couple of weeks and i think like being on tour with matchstick is in many ways like yeah i don't know affirmed that for me in a bigger way than the award has where like i showed up to crested butte the day before the premiere i was like the last person there my flight got in late i like drove by myself and i just like sat down at a table with like 
a bunch of pros that I've, you know, like fanboyed over forever. And was just like hanging out and talking to them. And like Kate Zeloff, especially is somebody that I've looked up to a ton and I had never met her before. And then she just like immediately made me feel like comfortable and at home at the table. And like, yeah, I think like the award has kind of like formalized things that I've been feeling over the past couple of weeks already. And I'm, yeah, I just feel super privileged to be here and to be given that space. And yeah, I mean, like you said, like, I think like now I have more of an audience and people are interested a little bit more maybe in what I'm doing now. And yeah, I think like, I, I don't want to put too much pressure on myself, but I also want to be like mindful about what I do with that space. You know, like, I think that, uh, yeah, it's something that I've dreamt of for my whole life. And I want to make sure that I'm doing something that I believe in to a certain extent, whether that's just like skiing in a way that I think is cool or working to create more space for, you know, other people who haven't had as many opportunities as, as I've had to have a voice in the industry. So yeah, I'm just trying to like make sense of it and move with intention. Yeah, it's it's refreshing to hear, honestly. Um, what this is such a shit question, but I'm gonna ask anyway. What are your goals for the season? Yeah, I'm trying to sort that out right now. To be honest, I think <laughs> I want to. I mean, in in short, I think my main goal is just to become a better skier. Right. I think that last year I was so busy. Um, just on the road all the time, never skiing in one place for more than like a couple days. And I'm super happy with the skiing that I did last year, but I don't feel like I improved a ton necessarily. Like I think that I was like relying on the same bag of tricks that I've had for a long time. And I'd love to try to like step into slightly larger terrain. I'd love to learn more tricks and I'd love to like further refine the ones that I've been doing. I think like that's my main goal from just like a, yeah, technical standpoint, like I just want to become a better skier and yeah, share skiing that I think is worth sharing. Um, I'm lined up to, yeah, film, film with matchstick and with head again. So those are kind of going to be like my main outlets and I'd love to produce, yeah, my own project as well. Something short that, yeah, just captures the essence of like why I love skiing in a way. Right. And I think things that I love about matchstick and head is they like they take care of all of the complicated parts of it where it's like you know you need good filmers you need good editors and you need distribution and like i think the distribution especially is something that's super tough and i don't feel comfortable moving into just only doing my own stuff because i just got here <laughs> but it would be really cool to start chipping away at that and trying to figure out what it is that i want to express and how i want to share it um so yeah i think like alongside becoming a better skier and working on those parts with bigger companies i'd love to start just trying to center myself and figure out what it is that i'm trying to communicate with my skiing um and i think accessibility is always something that is a priority for me um i don't know i, I want to make sure that i'm giving myself enough time to just like work on my own skiing and stuff this winter but it would be cool to start I, i've been talking to hank stowers a lot and mm -hmm. they've done some incredible work around kind of the pdx area to yeah, just bring people into the fold and make people feel welcome. And I don't know that I'm going to be able to do anything on the scale that they've done uh, in the past couple of years, but I'd like to start chipping away at that and try to, yeah, just make the ski industry as a whole a place that more people can feel welcome and accepted because I know that's not the case for most people. And as like a white man, it's been really easy for me to settle into this space. And yeah, not everybody has that luxury. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And it's, um, 
you know, I try to do it on the podcast as much as I can. And it's always, uh, and I'm always learning. And that's like the coolest thing, right? Is just learning. And, you know, it's, it seems so easy. Like there's always a seat at the table. There's always room for everybody. There's no room for bullshit. There's no room for hatred. Like, you know, I come from the punk era where like everyone is welcome and like we don't fucking we don't care but in the nicest way like whatever you are show up we love you you're in you might get kicked in the head but that's because that's what we're doing we're spin kicking (laughs) we're two-stepping like but that's like so I'm, i'm trying and it's it is bizarre and maybe weird as a white man because you feel or at least i do i feel uncomfortable like you know, maybe I feel uncomfortable fighting for these things because they don't affect me. And it's like, no, you need to be fighting because they don't affect you. Like that's your time to step up and stand up. And I don't always do it right. I'll be the first one to admit, like I'm learning. And I think that's, you know, I think it's the least we can do with our voice to just, you know, sometimes it's shut up and listen. Sometimes it's using your platform and sharing. Sometimes it's admitting you're wrong. Uh, but I think it's just, there's so much power in just being vocal and just mm-hmm. like, how can I make this more comfortable for everyone? And how can I understand that some people aren't comfortable doing something that I do every day and I have no issues. I just walk in and I do it. No one bothers me. And it, well, I don't know. I, I could talk about for hours because I don't have an answer. Like, I'm just like, I, it's, I just like that. It's just like, I think the easy answer is like, for us, we can just keep our mouth shut. We're just white totally. dude. We can just shut up. We're just, we can survive. We'll be fine. I'm blonde here, blue eyed. I'll be fine. Like I'll land on my feet or I can like talk to minorities, talk to people of color give spotlight and let them tell stories and like use our platforms to make a little bit of change. And I I don't, you know, hats off to you because you don't have to. So like, I guess what I'm saying while tooting my own horn is like hats off for like saying those things and doing those things and being an ally when it's really easy to just say nothing. For sure. And I think that's something that I felt a lot is like the the most effective way to like market oneself is to be uncontroversial. <laughs> well, I don't I, that there's actually debate around that. I don't know that that's true, but it's way more comfortable to just like not say anything and just roll with that. And I've that's very much been kind of my public presence in the past you know year or so, just because I don't know. I, I my relationship to how I want to speak to these things is different and virtue signaling, whatever. We don't need to get too too deep into it. I guess we're also short on time, you know. But for sure, I think. Um, I don't know. That was one of the most important parts of my experience in college, I think. Um, I was super involved with the outdoor program there at UC Davis. And yeah, I was like on the DEI committee. And we like, I helped get like a speaker series running where we were bringing people in to talk about their experience in the outdoors from different underrepresented groups. Um, And yeah, we worked really actively to like, you know, I think working for a college outdoor program was a super unique thing where UC Davis is, I, I don't know where it is right now, but when I was there, it was the most diverse UC, which is a pretty cool thing. <laughs> and right. to have the ability to take those people into the outdoors and to be able to bring them into the fold as guides is incredible, right? We run guide schools for whitewater rafting, sea kayaking, hiking, climbing, like you name it, we do it. And to have 
the ability to just get into contact with people who wouldn't otherwise probably have access to those worlds was such a privilege. And we worked really actively to try to make our hiring more inclusive. And, you know, it, it was hard. It required a lot of effort. It didn't necessarily yield results. But yeah, there were like five of us on the committee and we were willing to like, yeah, work for that because we believed in the project, um, even if the results weren't guaranteed. And it felt like a worthwhile thing to de dedicate our time and energy toward. And I do feel like my community, at least, was richer because of that. Um, yeah. And it'll be easier long term, right? Like you guys are setting the groundwork uh, that hopefully we're not having these conversations in 20 years, right? Yeah. Like it. And we probably will be. And oh, I think that, I think like, the, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, no, not, not to knock what you're saying at all, but I do think the conversations are in many ways the most important part. And I think it makes a lot of people uncomfortable sure. to talk about it. And I think that, I don't know, I felt a lot of like pushback from people who like feel like stuff's like too woke now and whatnot. And like, I think that there's so much that's lost because of that. And it's just, it's hard to feel comfortable talking about things, especially when, it's not part of your day-to-day -day experience, but I think that's why it's more important to talk about it. You know, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and yeah, I mean, I guess when I say conversations, I mean, I feel like we have to have the conversations now versus like, hopefully in 20 years, we just like want to have the conversations. Yeah. Like course. we can like learn <laughs> like, yeah. and not just like, yeah, it's the woke, the woke culture. I'm going to start like a woke or anti-woke podcast because those guys are stupid and they just join in and I can't wait to just kind of, <laughs> I just want to find oh, a way that would be so funny. And then like one day just surprise them and be like, oh actually you guys are all like <laughs> man, oh, I don't yeah uh, that's a complicated world shit. Oh uh, that's, <laughs> that's a whole nother podcast. Um, I know I'm not even gonna start. <laughs> yeah. Um, my lat I have two more questions for you. One Please would be if you could cook a meal for anyone, dead or alive, who would it be and what meal would you cook? Whoa, that's crazy. <laughs> oh my God. That's such a good question. Um, damn. Whoa. Oh, I know this is supposed to be an off the cuff answer, but oh, it's hard. It's hard. Dead or alive, huh? Wow, my brain's not that quick right now. There's so many, there's so many people in the world dead I and know. alive. I I always say if you don't have an answer, go with the first name that popped in your head, which like might not well, be your cool answer. What's that? I, I I mean the very first combination that popped in my head was I'd love to make curry with Amelia Earhart. And yeah, but that's know. it. That's the answer. Dude, I guess so. I don't. I don't know if I could justify that, but we'll roll with it. <laughs> it doesn't. There's no. That's it. It's that's the answer. That's why it's a beautiful yeah. thing. Um, okay, cool. We'll roll with it. <laughs> can we? The people want to know. Can we expect a Shinbangers four? Yo, yes. You did your homework. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about it last year, actually, because. Um, Manu Bernard is, uh, he was in Shinbangers one. He's one of our friends. He lives in New Zealand and he was on the world tour with us last year. So we were talking about it. We didn't do it. I would say odds of Shinbangers four 
are possible. It might happen. I would love for it to happen. <laughs> are possible. We're going with are possible. Is possible. Yeah. I like it. Um, Xander, where can people follow you? How can they keep in touch? Uh, you have two ski films coming out this year, one with Matchstick being The Land of Giants, the other one with Head being Unified. Uh, where can we get all your latest and greatest news, your clips, sponsors to thank? It's kind of your moment here. Yeah, totally. Uh, you could just find me on Xanderfire at Instagram. Uh, <laughs> who knows how long that tag is going to last? That's whatever. But <laughs> that's where I am right now. Um, and yeah, you can find me skiing at Sugar Bowl Resort or in Tahoe in general. I spend a lot of time in the backcountry and whatnot. So keep an eye out. Um, yeah, a huge thank you to my sponsors, uh, Sugar Bowl Resort. For one, I thought they've been my home resort forever. They provided me support at all different stages in my career, and I'm so happy to call that home. Um, Head Skis, uh, I just joined their program last winter, and I've never felt like more at home with the brand. Um, James Heim and Andrew Cooperthwaite have like really brought me into the fold, making me feel like I belong, and giving me a ton of opportunities. So a huge shout out to those guys. Um, I've been with Smith Optics for since I was 11, actually. So I've been with them for That's ages. Amazing. So shout out to them. Um, Tahoe Sports Hub is a local shop that I've been working with. Um, yeah, shout out to Flylo Gear from last year as well. They've yeah supported me in a big way as well. Um, who am I forgetting? Backcountry Access, in great great packs. Love the new airbag from them. And uh, yeah, I think that wraps it up. Beautiful. Uh, and thank you. Ty Tyrolia thank Bindings as well. Tyrolia Bindings. That goes under head head Tyrolia. It does. That's why I didn't say it at first. Same same unit. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good uh xander thank you this was great adam thank you man this was a pleasure yeah thanks we made it happen we i for everyone listening i scheduled xander in like april and then we postponed six and a half months and now we're happening so <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bad timeline for the ski industry not it's really not it's really not uh, <laughs> thank you.